This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to episode 563, my goodness, that's a lot, of the Eventing Radio Show brought to you by the Eventing Riders Association of North America. This week on the show, we have a guest all the way from South Africa speaking to us, Sue Gilliatt, who is a top bidding consultant. And then we also speak to one of the very best Irish riders around, and also one of the youngest, it is young Cahill Daniels joining us to discuss his recent success in the Indoor Eventing Challenge. I'm Liz Halliday-Sharp, coming to you this week from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Paul Tapner, coming to you this week from Wiltshire, United Kingdom, and you are listening to the Eventing Radio Show. So, Liz, it has done nothing but rain and rain and rain in the UK all of the autumn and all of the winter. So you have picked a very good year to leave the United Kingdom for good and head back to the United States. I am so jealous. (laughs) Well, it has. um, Actually, it was very, very warm in Ocala today and it's been threatening to rain. But I have just come back from Boston, which was a whole different thing. Um, I've just been at the USEA convention, which was frantic and crazy but useful at at all the same time like it always is um and we're all go here we've got all our horses in work and it is is crazy crazy but i'm not sad to not be getting drowned in the uk i have to say it's all the reports i keep getting is how wet and disgusting and muddy everything is and this is not my favorite time in england but nonetheless you've been out doing uh yeah you've been out doing lots of indoor eventing competitions which i'm very jealous about and um uh, we are going to speak to um, a young man who's actually been winning a few of those later. But um, it's all right. It's I, beat to, uh, I, I beat him in one. I beat him in one. You beat him in one. Yes, I beat him at Paris, and uh, you know I, I bet he tries to uh, ignore that fact. But I did. I did beat him at Paris, but he did beat me at. Uh, well, funnily enough, he won two of them, so he, he beat everybody uh, <laughs> at uh, at Stuttgart. Oh, actually, no, he didn't beat me at Geneva. I didn't even go to Geneva, but he, he did win twice, so he's he's doing exceptionally well. Um, and uh, you know the showdown will continue at the end of this month uh, at, at Liverpool International when we go up there to uh, to our. Uh, final arena eventing indoor arena eventing class of the season but yeah it's great doing these things in the in the indoor and these massive shows i mean these shows are something else the paris salon du cheval is just unbelievable in its size it has arenas upon arenas upon arenas upon shopping hall upon shopping hall upon shopping hall upon stables like you would not believe. I mean, there's just these vast, vast buildings full of stables, and it is just the slickest of operations you've ever seen. Every stable, whenever it has a new horse coming in or out, is completely freshed out of of manure and things. Like, biosecurity is is amazing. Every single truck that comes in and out has to be disinfected. They have a disinfection team, so you have to go in and get your truck disinfected, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, uh, I was just in awe the whole time i was there uh and then you know had to try and concentrate late at night to, to do one of these fantastic classes so they're certainly great fun and um you know i'm i'm enjoying being able to ride this time of year because i haven't been 
it's my first year. I've not done a single um, proper eventing competition, Liz. My gosh. Did you, did you feel rusty or, or did you just pull your old guy out and just off you went? <laughs> I just, well, yeah, no, I, it was um, a little nerve wracking, I must say, you know, and I haven't actually had chance to go and do any show jumping shows in preparation. Uh, so um, I've just wow. been, I'm, I'm pretty lucky at, at Wickstead where I'm based. I've, I've got a, a fantastic arena, massive uh, outdoor arena that has arena eventing, uh, permanent arena eventing facilities there. So I've got the ideal situation to warm up and practice on. So uh, just plenty of uh, vi- watching the videos online, you know, so this, is, this is my top training tip, Liz. What Watching the, the videos of past uh, events that I was about to go to online and then simulating those things at home in my arena, trying to set them up and, and trying to oh, do nice similar, one. ready to, to go out uh, and do it. But um, So, yeah, that's that's been quite exciting. And uh, the ex- other exciting news that's uh, just come out is the uh, Event Rider Masters calendar for 2020 has just been published. Uh, published and uh I'd st- i'll let you in on a secret liz because i'm sure you've not seen any of the news because you've been busy riding your horses but there's I now haven't. two two legs we've reverted back to two legs in the uk so kicking it off at an event which is heavily populated by um the world's best event riders in europe and that's at burnham market so we go first off to burnham oh, market wow. then the masters heads to chatsworth house so two legs straight up in the uk then oh, over wow. to to Arville, and we miss out on one of your favourite shows, Wiesbaden. Unfortunately, we're not able to go to Wiesbaden. The Masters is not able to go to Wiesbaden this year because of a huge amount of calendar clashing uh, on the FEI circuit with everything getting jigged oh, around shame. because of the Easter holidays as well as the uh, as the uh, Olympic uh, year, everything getting shifted around. But off to Arville, which I know you've been to Arville, Liz, and a beautiful venue uh-huh. at Arville followed by Jardy, Mill Street, and then Linier to finish. So it's going to be a great Masters season in 2020. Wow, it sounds amazing. And I, I, I actually had someone asking me um, when I was at the convention, would we ever have one in the U.S.? And I said, you know what, I, I know that it's been talked about, and it would be really great, and um, perhaps I can ask you the question, is there ever the possibility you're making it over here. I know a lot of riders would it's, love to be a part of it. It's not a possibility. It's a definite wish. You know, we definitely Good. want to include the, the United States and indeed maybe even Canada as, as, as part of the Event Rider Masters. We have a very massive ambition to be gl- truly global. The thing is, what we don't want to do is have one. You know, we could just have a Masters leg in the US now, but then it would only be populated by um, the riders based there. You know, we want it to be truly um, international. So if we come to the US, we want to be able to bring... Uh, a certain number of the European riders who are frequenting the Masters and, and, and that the Masters circuit for the past four years. We want to bring them to the US to really make sure that we are challenging the riders, pitting them against each other, and it's a true international. So, you know, that, that takes a bit of money and we need a sponsor. Yeah, so right. if we if we when we get the sponsor that that is is keen to to support us in having that um, US leg of the Masters, then it absolutely and utterly will happen. But Unfortunately, haven't found that sponsor in 2020. We keep searching. If anybody wants to get in touch and help us out, we're you know more than happy to have that conversation. Well, fingers crossed because I, I will definitely miss being a part of the Event Rider Masters Series this year, and um, it would be great if they could come over. So we'll keep uh, keep fingers crossed and keep our feelers out, and um, you never know, it might just happen. Indeed, it certainly will happen in the future. But enough from us. Let's hear from our guests after this word from our sponsors. 
When it comes to feeding your horse, are you sure you're giving them every possible advantage? With Pro Elite Horse Feed, you can. It's the only horse feed to offer unparalleled amino acid profiles for enhanced performance, regulated starch and sugar levels, the best digestive package available, and nutrition-locked formulas that are crucial to overall health. Combine these advantages create a winning formula for your winning horse. To learn more about feeding your champion, visit www.proelitehorsefeed.com. We are very pleased to be joined by an interesting guest today, um, Sue Gilliatt, who is a, a bidding consultant. Sue, welcome to the Eventing Radio Show. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Paul. It's a it's an honour to be able to share knowledge and to be able to speak to people and to be able to explain what I do and how it's work. Very excited. Thank you. So just talk us through a little bit. I mean, I've, of course, met you myself, and, and um, I would be a self-proclaimed bit geek. I would say, like I always say to my friends, some girls buy shoes, I buy bits, and it's a bit of a problem. You've seen my tack room. So I was very excited mm. to um, get to know you and and see what you do. And it's made a huge difference for some of my horses, especially some of my trickier horses to bit. So just talk us through a little bit what exactly it is that you do and, and the process that you go through. Okay. So what um, I started um, about three years ago when I looked at bitting through the eyes of the horse and to see how we can make the horse more comfortable and happier. Um, I am eventing um, my daughter's event. So eventing, um, because it covers three disciplines, I was able to to touch and feel each one of those disciplines. Um, We started by trying to mould the entire of a horse's mouth, thereby being able to see what was going on in the horse's mouth. Um, I had this crazy dream that bits would no longer be hanging on the shelf and that everybody would buy a moulding kit, which would be sent away, and then you would receive the bit that you needed. That was, uh, it soon became very quick that that was never going to happen. Um, bitting is, is a nightmare. You walk into tack shops, whether you're an Olympic rider or you're happy hacking on a Sunday afternoon, and you'll walk into a tack shop, and you'll see 40,000 variations of bits, and you have no idea which bit to buy. So you rely on your instructor, and you rely on the person that sold you the horse, Um, you rely on the fact that that bit worked on the other horse, so therefore it must work on this horse. Nine times out of ten, it does not work. So what we have now done and perfected um, is that we now mould the inside of the horse's mouth. I work with an equine dentist. Um, We gag the horse up. In we go with our head torches, and we look at the conformation of a horse's mouth. The jaws are different. The width of the bars are different. Bar damage is, is very prominent. We're then able to take all of those notes, we cast that mould, and we're able then to bit a horse comfortably. I've simplified that terribly, um, but it's, that covers and that basically what it does, but it takes quite some time. We then work with the rider and we talk to the rider and we want to know what the rider wants to feel at the end of the rain. Um, whether they want weight at the end of the rain, whether they want lightness at the end of the rain. We then look and see how the horse has behaved previously and what bits they've had in before. And that then the education starts. So we then go to each bit that, that that rider and horse combination have been using in the past and we explain why it's not working. And we look at video footage and we predict the way the horse will go with those bits because they can have a, a spur, a bone spur on the bar 
that is the equivalent of you running a marathon or me making you run a marathon because you don't have a choice that you're a horse with a stone in your shoe. And because you then start going, ouch, that actually hurts. As riders, we naturally go and when the immediate reaction is to go, we'll pick them up because the, that will work. And so we put another stone in the shoe and we make them run faster. Now that stone in the shoe will make them feel right, it will make them feel left, it can make them throw their head, drop their head, dive into a cross-country jump as a panic. So once we educate the, the, the owner and the rider, we then introduce bits that we believe will be suitable to that horse. Sometimes it's revolutionary. The difference is like day and night because we've taken the pressure off. A horse is only misbehaving. A horse only pulls and tugs and yanks because he's uncomfortable. They're into pressure. Take the pressure off and make it, oh, no, that's quite nice. I can lift the head up. Ask me if you want me to go right or left. I'm with you. I, I can do this now. You're no, you're no longer having a fight. You will never win a fight with a horse. When you're going on a cross-country track, it should be a gentle canter through the country that just happens to have some jumps in the way. If you are being tanked like a train, if you are pulling going into those last two strides, we need to be able to look at that horse and see why that's happening. Um, so, Sue, I was, um, well, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to have, you know, half a day with you myself, and, and we did mould a lot of my horses, and... Um, it was interesting because I'm a really big believer, like I'm completely on board. I'm a big believer that we, uh, sh- there's a bit for every horse. And, and I also believe that horses change as they change in their training. And I think sometimes the bit that worked a year ago maybe isn't what they want now, no, you know, so horses change their way of going. Absolutely. So I found, what I found interesting was we had, um, you know, you're very, very good at getting the sizes right. And some of the bits that I that I ended up using on a horse at the time, that's maybe changed, and I've gone to another bit that you advised me. Um, it was just a, when it, it was an interesting bit that I should try, and um, and there I've ended up using the bit that I tried on one horse on another horse, and it's been revolutionary. So it's a lot of it is just just learning, isn't it? And I think that's what a lot of us it is um, that, that, you know around we don't understand. Correct. It's a lot of it is education, and it's it's a lot. Of, so you will now look at it from an educated perspective. Going, the horse was doing this. What if I try that ported bit? What if I what if I take the pressure off the tongue? What if I take the pressure off the bars? What if I adjust the pole pressure? Because you're you're an empowered rider now, and you're absolutely right. Horses' muscle memories change. They grow stronger through the neck, stronger. They're pushing more from behind. Absolutely, we have to. Um, as you would if you were if you any athlete doesn't use the same pair of training shoes from the beginning to the end of his career and whatever and, and any discipline. So we have to work with and that's why I, I Andrew is is, a, is fabulous and he will always fly me over if he says, Well, I've got a problem with this and a problem with that. I have a lot of repeat clients. And I spend a lot of my time watching WhatsApp video clips of clients that I've worked with before because it's a journey. It's an absolute journey. But the joy you get from clients who come back to you and say, you know what, Sue, I listen to you and I've changed a bit and this has happened. And that, that to me, that's all I want. I just want happy, comfortable horses. And it is all through education. That's all it is. Education through instructors, education from top riders so that they can be seen to be having bits that fit. We don't want to tie anything. So that at 90% of what I do is education. Knowledge at the end of the day is king. Bitting is constantly overcomplicated. Um, stripping back to, to basics to say, right, this is what the horse's mouth needs. 
Now, that's the horse comfortable. What do you need at the end of the reign? How can I change the cheek teeth to help you? And it's, it's also winning confidence. We find that there are lots of top riders and also amateur riders want more. They'll go, that will never work. That'll never work. So I, can't, I can't possibly go around a, a Musa 40 track. I can't possibly go around a three-star. It'll never work. And I have to win their trust. And that once you've, I've won the trust, I'm on a home run. So it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a very emotional journey, this thing. Hence, that's why you're a bit addict, I'm sure. A bit addict, that's a very good name, yeah. She, so, I uh, like some, some girls buy shoes, some girls buy bits. I, I could say something about that, but I'm just going to leave that hanging there for, for, for Liz to deal with. Uh, but, I you know, actually buy the, shoes too, which is a problem. But anyway, carry oh, on. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's Christmas, it's, it's the t- uh, season with Christmas around the corner and all. You know, we know what we can buy, Liz. <laughs> now, um, so you, just to take you through a, a little bit of that process, you said we, we sometimes overcomplicate it, but you've mentioned, you know, gagging them up with. With, with dentists and taking mouldings and, and measurements and everything. And, and actually, it sounds even more complicated. I mean, I know you're the expert, so you have to have that level of knowledge. Um, so just briefly, you said um, when you gagged them up. So that that's working with the dentist, the same way as an equine dentist yeah. would do. They put the... the yeah. the, the gag in the horse's yeah. mouth just to keep it open so you can look inside without getting your arm Absolutely. bitten off. And then when you go, you say you then you, you do some molding, and, and that, I think that's been a learning curve for yourself as well as to whether you, you can use that regularly or not. So what's involved in, in molding the horse? What do you mean by that? Because that's a, a new term to me. I've, I've worked with bitting consultants, and, and I'm, I'm 100% convinced on everything you've said in, in terms of the, the, the comfort, the pain, the response, the, the trial and error, the, you know, getting the right bit for the, for the horse and the, and the rider. But what, the molding, that's a new thing to me. So talk to me about that. So when you, when you bit a horse, you rely on various aspects in which to control the horse, your brakes and steering, because that's effectively what you're using the bit, the bit for. So what, when, when we mold the horse, we're looking particularly at the bars. Now, the, the go-to, the soft target of any of, of bitting is to go for the tongue and the bars and the cheeks. We can apply pole pressure, we can apply curve pressure, we can apply nose pressure, and we can see all of those. We can see by when when we gag up, we can see um, the te- we can see a bit damage, we can see how the teeth are doing and everything like that. But we can't really see what's going on with the bars. So what we do is we take a we take a, a simple. Um, uh, powder, for want of a better word, which which is the same as we would use as a human. So we remove the tongue and we press down the same as you would if you were going to the dentist to have a mould made for your own teeth. So it's, it's an instant impression. It doesn't absorb, the horse doesn't absorb anything. It's over within seconds. It's just a very cool sensation that they get. We lift it out and then we cast it into plaster of Paris. That gives an exact replica of what's going on under that tongue. Um, but they're, they're very important for two reasons. One is that they can be uneven. So if you think of the bit sitting in the mouth, if you have a bar higher than the other side, it's going to hit the highest bar first, which will create a one-side pressure. Indeed. So then with that other- with that moulding, you're then able to do, – do you actually um, customise the bits or is it you're just able to choose the correct bit off a shelf, you know, we all know, as, as Liz said, there's there's thousands of bits out there. There's there's hundreds of different manufacturers. Um, you know, the list is fairly endless. You know, I mean, when you start talking about uneven bars and that sort of thing, it, it's almost like you're you're talking like you're going to customize something. Or is there, you know, we're used to having bits 
in styles, you know, be they ported, be they jointed, be they double jointed, be they, um, you know, all the different types of, of side pieces, be they FM'd rings, loose ring, egg butt, you know, D ring, Pelham'd gag, European gag. You know, we can go through the list. Yeah, you can go so, forever. You know, we've got so, grazers, stops, there are thousands of variations. So we have found that with the variations that we are that we have on the market, we can we can cherry pick a cheek piece and a mouthpiece nine times out of ten. However, some owners, some horses are in customized bits that we've actually made. And that's been made with Bombers. Bombers Bits is, is a South African brand. They're incredibly supportive of the work I do. They are they have learned as well with creating put some bits on the market that didn't exist before we started molding. They they're very good at changing and, and listening and working with me. Um so if it was a customized they're very much a new brand as well, aren't they? They they haven't been around for centuries. You know, if you think of some of these brand names of of bits, you know, they've been around almost as long as horse riding's been around. Um, you know, some of the a- European absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you you the each the nice thing about bombers is that each one's handmade, and that makes a huge difference to me that they're not cast. You see, you know, you, there's no you don't every horse is different, and you can't they're, they're not small, medium, and large. You can't put a mouthpiece in that says small, medium, and large because they're not. They're all different. They're all measured differently. And not all horses are five and a half. They're, they vary terribly. But the, the bit for each horse exists in some way, and we just have to find it. And once we find it, as Liz says, the penny drops, and you have a marble moment, and then you're more confident with your bitting. You're able to then move forward, or you phone me up and say, this, this, and this. Um, and we're able to say, like, that's where we need to go with the bitting. Um, so it's, it's, we don't really – we did start at the very, very beginning when we found these amazing bars. It was like a unique moment, and we started customising. But then we realised we didn't actually have to. We just had to get over it. Um, and the same with bone spur. Some spurs we, we have surgically removed. They are they, – you press and you palpate them, and the horse hits the ceiling. You know, we, we have to then send them over to a vet to get them removed – which, as a typical bitting, you would never see that because you've never gone but just into the to, um, just to simplify that a little bit for, for, you know, a lot of our listeners. I mean, I think certainly one thing I was um, impressed about is that what you don't realize sometimes, and, and this is what I think everybody should pay attention to, is that you can briefly look at your horse's mouth and think that there are no sores. But quite often they can be very fleshy in their mouths and there could be sores way up inside, you know, the mouth from, from the different choices of bits. And that was something that I actually learned a lot. Uh, not that all of mine were sore, but I remember you commenting on that. And it was, it was interesting. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what we could, I mean, we do hope that you'll come over to the USA. I think we're working on that. I hope we'll be able to get you over here. And yes, that, um, we are. We'll, we'll be able to I'm experience it. Um, yeah, yeah, so hopefully we can get that done. But in, I would um, say in the meantime, what I hope we can impress upon some people listening to our show who maybe are, are that person who, who believes every horse could, should go in one bit and is struggling with something is that if something isn't working then then definitely look into your horse's mouth make sure that things are not making them sore somewhere they aren't and, and try things and yeah. and that there are people like yourself out there you know who um could be available to to help and assist and with with that in mind is there a way that that someone could contact you are you on uh, are you on social absolutely, media as well? Or? Yeah. Um, and what in the world would that be? Um, you, can, you can get hold of me through Facebook um, using, simply using my name. It's Sue, G-I-L-L-I-A-T-T. And you can email me, which is Sue, 
at Gilliot, G-I-L-L-I-A-T-T, holdings, with an S, dot com. Um, I'm sure Amazing. that will be on your website because I, I probably said that very quickly, which I apologize for. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll make sure that all your contact details are, are clear and available. And of course, you know, anybody could contact us and, and, and we would put them in touch with you. And, um, I, you know, I think this has been fascinating. And thank you very much for being on the show. And I, I really hope that this has pleasure. helped to, to uh, shed some more light on, a, on the minefield that is bidding. And um, yeah, thank you very much, Sue. And we'll, we'll hopefully see you soon. The Eventing Writers Association of North America is the collective voice of writers, equine professionals, and owners in pursuit of enhancing the growing sport of eventing in North America. In cooperation with our members, governing bodies, related committees, and organizers, ERA of NA works to improve the overall welfare, safety, visibility, and growth of the sport. ERA of NA, your voice matters for the sport of eventing. Jump in and engage by becoming a member today. Find them online at www.eraofna.com. Joining us now on the Eventing Radio Show is a young, up-and-coming superstar. I mean, we're calling him a superstar, but he's still very young, and he's an Irish sensation. It's Cahill Daniels. Carl, welcome to the Eventing Radio Show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, um, mate, your record is fairly phenomenal, and I don't know. You might know the statistics. I'm I'm not a big statistics man. I, I, we almost need uh, Eki ratings on the line here, but you've won medals at pony level, at junior level, at young rider level, and senior level. Now, I don't know many, if any, other riders that have managed that feat. You know, so that is fairly phenomenal um so you know have you compared yourself to other other riders who do you know anybody else that's managed to achieve that feat uh honestly i actually don't know that um i don't think anybody irish um i thought about it on the irish perspective before um i don't think anybody has come through all the way lucky enough to to get medals in in all of them but um as the before as the, the age of 25 <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> Yeah, no, I can, I'm pretty sure we can we can definitely account that there was no other Irish writer has done it. Um, but I'm I'm gonna set Jen, our producer, on the task of researching this one and see if she can uh, find out uh, if there's any other writers that that have done this. But I mean, it's a fairly phenomenal record because you know most people don't even get to represent their country at pony level, and most people don't even get to represent their country at junior level, and then you take it to young writers and seniors. And as Liz just dropped in there, um, you've not exactly been in the senior ranks very long uh so you know talk us through that that first senior representation were you uh you know all out ready expecting medals uh well like going back to ponies and being lucky enough to uh, represent ireland from from the beginning i i only did one pony europeans and made a count when it when it happened um uh, i had a very good pony and um it's kind of what got me into the whole uh the whole uh, thing of eventing but um yeah through juniors young riders and seniors uh i started with regan rua as a six-year-old in juniors in uh Jardy, and she's been uh my european horse for since then um so going to seniors it wasn't so different to me because obviously i had the the same horse underneath me and i, I knew what we were capable of um but yeah like going going to wag last year um 
it's a big deal, obviously, and there's there's a, a lot of good horses and riders there. So going with a, a good strong team was uh, was a good advantage, and uh, we all done our bit, and we all um, competed to our best ability, and uh, and was able to pull the medal from there, which was um, ah, it was it was quite amazing. To be fair, we it was a, a very big thing for Ireland to win um, a senior medal at a at a World Games. So going into the Europeans this year, it was um, I suppose it, it gave me a little bit of confidence at least. Um, but the individual medal is something I, I really, really wanted to go and do this year. Um, it was kind of, it was my aim for for bringing her to the European. She didn't need to go. She was already qualified for next year. So it was, um, I, I was going there to be to be competitive, but obviously a lot of people go there to be competitive. So um, yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal being able to get the individual medal this year. I mean, she is just the coolest little horse, isn't she? And you've got an incredible relationship with her. And, um, you know, she's just for those who don't really know that much. She is tiny as well. She's a little firecracker, ginger mare. And um, I remember standing next to you in the prize giving at the Moulin last year and thinking, God, she really is, uh, you know, a little compact little thing, isn't she? But um, an absolute powerhouse and so fast and such an incredible jumper. And I remember at the time you actually said to me, um, you know, oh gosh, I'll bet our, our coach will, will be dying if I get selected for away because he'll have to deal with me on the flat with this mare. And um, I think she actually did quite a quite a good test, didn't she? So you must be sort of getting getting all the phases figured out now because it was always about, you know, that you could count on her in the jumping and she was so fast. But, you know, and of course yourself being so young as well, but it must be that partnership you've got with her and, and you're really starting to just put all the pieces in place now. Yeah, for sure. She um, she's always been amazing cross country. Every track and every question, she it's like she's been in school the day before when she goes cross country. She's a has an incredible brain and she's very quick, quick thinking and quick on her feet. Um, and her jumping has always been quite strong, but it, it has gotten even better now. Um, but the dress has always been uh, it's always been a little bit of a struggle. She's um, she's not a horse you can tell what to do um, at all. She's very very. Uh, opinionated and uh, she struggled with, with learning different things um but uh yeah we've we've definitely cracked her on the dress size now and like to the point of where she uh, enjoys doing all the work and she finds it very easy and it's um it's just about managing all of that now so um i think uh going to wag and competing in front of the big crowd in the stadiums really helped her because in Lemoulin um this year she she felt very much uh, at ease uh, even leaving the arena with the crowd applauding and everything like that, she didn't even uh, get bothered about it. So it's um, it's taken a little bit of time to to get her to where we want her to be in the dressage, but um, she's there now, and hopefully she can uh, stay there for another while. So, Kyle, she she has of course been your your top top horse for a while now, but um, you've recently taken on the ride of another horse that um, has has seen uh, not just one but two top riders be on board before. And um, you've actually had a pretty good spin, I'd say, in the off-season. A lot of um, in the European off-season, there's, of course, no eventing, but there's a lot of indoor eventing um, in various different countries throughout Europe, which is hugely good fun. And um, you've been out there winning quite a lot on a new ride that came from none other than Oliver Townend. So um, just talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, Alcatraz is a 14-years-old gelding. Um, so I hadn't done an indoor eventing before. Um, it's something I always kind of thought of doing to be fair, but I just had never done one. Um, 
so yeah, he was quite new to me. I got him uh, before Stuttgart. Uh, took him to um international jumping show for uh, the week before and jumped him in a few classes. Um, really nice horse, really good jumper. And so we took him to Stuttgart, uh, not really knowing each other, obviously, but um, uh, had a really good class there. It was a really good show um, across country. It was quite technical enough, like de- decent enough for in an in an indoor um, and uh, managed to win the class. Um, so that was quite good. And uh, so we're just back from uh, Geneva, which is an amazing show. It's my first time there. Um, and it's really a show that I'd like to go to every year. To be fair, it's um, uh, some, something else. It's it's one of the one of the best shows I've ever been to, um, and uh, got the win in Geneva as well. So it's been a it's been a very good horse for me for for a horse that I uh, haven't had for very long. Um, so uh, yeah, hopefully we can we can win a few more. Aim to go to um, Liverpool with them next for the. Oh, you've just so, um, ruined my day. I was just thinking, oh, I hope he's not going to Liverpool because uh, I've been chasing you uh, this this indoor arena eventing circuit as well. You know, uh, bringing out my old uh, favourite, and and uh, I've been suffering from four faultitis. So you've been kicking my butt at most of these, except for the Paris one. And I went to the Paris one, and I thought that was the biggest and best show I'd ever been to. Uh, I didn't go to the Geneva one, but it's interesting to hear you say that. You know, from going straight from Paris to Geneva, that that you think the Geneva show was the biggest and best show you've ever been to. Um, so you know, it's even bigger and bigger and better than the Paris one. Yeah, um, it maybe not so much on the um, the shopping stalls and around like that. It's maybe not as uh, as big as what Paris is, but the uh, the arenas and the atmosphere and uh, just the sh- the show in general from the from the horses' point of view it was um, uh, was it was pretty pretty cool. The top ten Grand Prix um, was on uh, straight after the indoor eventing and. Um, uh, the caliber of horse and rider there is is next to none. It's the the best, be, literally the best in the world. We're we're all lined up with their with their best horses, and it's um it's a very good show to be to be able to compete at. Well, uh, now we're we're both off to Liverpool uh, for the indoor arena eventing class. There, uh, you're taking Alcatraz. I'm taking my horse Bonza King of Rouge again, and I'm hoping that I'm going to leave a rail up this time so that uh, you don't keep beating me too often. Uh, but uh, um, so that you you think these indoor arena eventing classes are good fun? Are they f- a future of the sport, or are they just for the off season, or are they just a good way to get to know a new ride like what you're doing? What, what's your opinion on these classes? It, I suppose it, it depends on the way you look at it yourself, but um, they're, for the shows that are big enough like that, um, there is loads of room to run indoor eventing class. I think it's very good for the public to see eventing up close, pub, people that might not go to an actual event. Um, and it, it, it's, very, it's very different from what a, what a lot of show jumpers would see. They walk their show jumping tracks and think nothing of it and jump around them, but they see us uh, jumping these fences, which aren't the top of our sport. Um, obviously, and they think it's unbelievable that we rock on down to these at a at a high speed, and we we just do it like it's nothing. Um, but I think it's 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 definitely not a bad thing. Um, they're good fun. Um, the crowd get very involved. It 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 uh, makes it feel like a, a big atmosphere, and um, yeah, it's 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 a nice uh, novelty class if nothing else for for the show to have. So um, I'll tell you what we've got over here, Cahal, that's similar. And I think it is a really great thing is we do these showcase events um, and we've got one at Wellington. So it's running alongside, you know, all the jumping classes and stuff. But 
they have made it so that they keep it a really short cross country in the big Derby fields. And uh, but we do a proper dressage test and jumping, and it's it's really great. Like the public comes and and they have a another great one. You know they do a few throughout the year, and I think it's it, that's actually pretty cool as well because you can still take your maybe your older horse that hasn't you know got much more eventing left in it, but still loves the sport, and then you run around a three minute cross country and still do everything. So I think I think there's sort of different versions of this indoor jumping or you know th- this sort of showcase type eventing that's great for the public it's great for the sponsors great for the owners um and gives gives these horses a little bit of something different to do maybe in the off season or or towards the end of their career yeah for sure like that's that's another another point of it too with if you have a horse that's maybe not going to be doing your big um your big events either you can still have it it can be in full work and travel to these shows in the in the winter time over here and um still still have a lot of competing left in it even though it's not a it's not a the long format you might might have been doing it before but still and it can be very competitive and uh there's not uh they're not very taxing on the horses it's over within within three minutes as you said so it's um the the longevity of the horse they they can get a lot of years out of them in their later life and still uh still really enjoy it they are a very intense uh, competition, though. You don't want to be taking a, a young horse in there. You'd certainly want to have an experienced horse. Those jumps come up thick and fast, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, even in Geneva, the arena is huge, but uh, the course was like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, even walking, it, there was people going around in circles, and there are so many fences. And for the horses, if you well, if you want to go and be competitive and you want to go fast between the fences. Um, the horses need need experience to be able to pick up the fences only on the last three strides, sometimes two strides, to be able to jump them clean and, and keep going fast. Because uh, yeah, a green one that is a little taken about by but the crowd and all the fences, um, it, it's going to need extra time. Like it is, uh, it is very intense. And if you have a little bit of a hairy moment over a fence, it's uh, you need to be you need to be on the ball to be able to get back into position and back onto the next fence because it could be nothing maybe three or four strides away from it so it's uh yeah it is for the for the few minutes that you're in there it is quite intense yeah indeed so uh liz mentioned uh the horse that you've targeted at these uh shows uh this year is alcatraz and she said that you know it's recently come from oliver town and but before that you know he's come from alex bragg and alex in fact won uh one of these uh, indoor arena eventing classes i think last year so it always fascinates um spectators of our sport how the horses can move from rider to rider and uh we've just been talking to a, a bidding expert who's uh, citing a, a top horse moving from michael young to andrew hoy and she's going to go and help andrew hoy get to know this horse and you've mentioned about getting to know this horse so you know are you what happens with the politics of all of that are you are you in good terms with with oliver and and alex you know do they do they give you any hints or are they uh you know got voodoo dolls and daggers out for you because you've taken their horse from them. You know, what, what, what's, uh, what's the inside gossip there? Yeah, but like I think uh, I think different riders deal with it differently but for me um, I've been riding horses, different horses from when I was very young um, whether it's just competing them on the day for people or, or um, just getting you rides and buying and selling so um I think in a way, in a way, I'm a little bit lucky. Um, I don't really mind riding a new horse. Um, obviously, it's nice to get to know them, and it's nice to have a partnership. And 
for going to the the big big shows it, it is definitely an advantage but um for the likes of the indoor eventing um i think if the if the horse has been educated properly um i don't i wouldn't really be worried too much about hopping on and uh and riding riding the horses the shows um it's it's not ideal obviously but um yeah like with the eventing i think i think it's it's a it's a little bit of a problem in the eventing it's it's uh it's difficult for an event rider to get on a horse and go do a four star dressage test because the horse might know all the tricks but maybe not just in the way that the that rider rides whereas in the in the jumping in the jumping world like horses pass hands all the time um it's it's very very common for horses just to keep moving around different riders different owners and um i think they they can go to the bigger shows quicker in in the jumping so it's uh it's something yeah that a lot of uh, uh, eventing people they they have their horse from younger or from a lower level say and they build up and then they stay but um it's yeah it's 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 difficult it's it's i think it's a lot got to do with the riders whether the rider is happy to change horses and upper level horses and just get on them and go to shows and it is done in the eventing i'm not saying it's not done in the eventing but just not as uh not as common as it would be in in the jumping yeah it's definitely more difficult when you've got three different completely different phases to do and, and like you say not knowing what all the buttons were with the with the rider that was with them before um but Cahill, before we wind up i'm just going to ask you one of my favorite things to ask um which i always ask our top riders and um, you are definitely um, one rider that we have not had a chance to ask this before. So I love to always ask everyone for their number one top training tip. Try saying that 12 times fast. Um, but yeah, we always like to know it can be anything that you say, you know, maybe when you get on a new horse or you're working with young horses. I know you've had a lot of that, but whatever is your number one top training tip, go for it. No pressure. Number one top training tip. <laughs> um <laughs> No, no, no there's yeah, only once. You got to say I twelve. Suppose, remember, twelve times. Go. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I suppose uh, I do a lot of my training, gymnastic work, pole work with horses on the ground, even small grids and bounces and turning, turning bounces and stuff like that. So I think I think it is important for because when you're when you're training with grid work and bounce work and pole work, I think the rider does a lot less and the horses to do a lot more. Um, I think you can ride a lot of tracks and give your horses a lot of help. And with eventing, we don't jump big, big tracks in the show. I mean, we jump decent tracks for what the horses are doing, but I think the rider can help that a lot um, on the day. So I think it's important in the training at home to do a lot of gymnastic work that makes the horse work for themselves and um, work properly. Um, so I suppose the top training tip I'd say for this evening would be uh, never do enough um Bounce work and grid work and uh, and stuff like that. Bounce, bounce, pony. Bounces and grid work and gymnastic works. There you go. That's the secret to success for meddling at every level. Uh, you've heard it here first from Cahill Daniels. So, uh, 
Mate, thank you very much for joining us and giving us your time on the Eventing Radio Show. It's been a pleasure listening to you, and I look forward to uh, kicking your butt at Liverpool uh, Indoor Arena <laughs> Eventing at the end yeah. of this month. <laughs> all of our listeners will want to follow you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and on your website and all of those sort of things. So we will put all of those links uh, to um, your um, social media platforms on our website. But just quickly, anybody who doesn't want to search a website and they're on their horse or they're mucking out listening to this in their uh, AirPods, just quickly tell us how they can find you on any of those platforms. Yeah, uh, Instagram, you can find me at CDS Sport Horses, and on Facebook, uh, the page is Cahaldania Sport Horses. Excellent. Thank you very much, Carl. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Eventing Riders Association of North America podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the Eventing Riders Association of North America and everything they do, visit their website at eraofna.com. You can find the links to today's guests and topics at eventingradio.com. And follow Eventing Radio on Facebook. Just search for The Eventing Radio Show. And of course, on Twitter, at Eventing Radio. Listen to The Eventing Radio anytime, anywhere with the free Horse Radio Network app. It's for iPhone and Android devices. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And of course, you can also subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. I'm Liz Halliday-Sharp, and you can follow me on Instagram, at Liz Halliday-Sharp. Uh, also on Facebook, Liz Halliday, and on Twitter, at Liz Halliday, and of course on our website, hseventing.com. And I've been Paul Tapner in your ears, and you can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on the website. Just search for Tapner Eventing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.